welcome back for a brand new episode of The Witching Hour. I am Perry. This is Haley. Hello. We're talking about uh, some little-known cinematic icons named Godzilla and Kong. How you doing, Haley? Uh, I'm good, but that's King Kong to you. Uh, how that's are you? Fair. It's very <laughs> fair. I am doing well because making Witching Hour all Godzilla versus Kong gave me an excuse to watch the movie a second time, and yeah. I liked it even more the second time. I think I did too. There's a there's a couple of reasons why, and we'll get into a big one when we talk about spoilers, but. We are going to kick this off with a non-spoiler conversation of the Adam Wingard-directed movie, Godzilla vs. Kong. So we're going to give you our initial non-spoiler thoughts. So just in case you haven't seen the movie and you're still looking for some additional insight to decide whether or not to sit down and watch it, that's what this part is for. And then we'll give you guys a big old spoiler warning when we start to uh, pick this thing apart. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So, Haley, how do you feel about the movie overall? Um, I think that what I will say now versus what I would have said two days ago, having only seen it once might be different, but overall, I really enjoy it. I think it's super fun. Um, it is like, I mean, it's kind of exactly what it sells you in that it is, and not to use the fun word too much, but it is selling fun. And it delivers that. Like, it's definitely not trying to take itself seriously. Um, It's mostly invested in, as they always are, these monsters more than the humans. But I would say even more so in this one, because it gives the monsters maybe even more personality and empathy than we've seen in the last two specifically. Um, I like Kongsville Island, so I, I maybe would say that one had some pretty good monster emotions too. But um, I did take some issues away from my first viewing that felt amplified the more time I had away from it. I was more frustrated by some script stuff. The thing is, the second I put it on for the second watch, I did not care about any of that all over again. And I had a great time watching it. Yeah, I think that's a a big part of the reason why it played better for me the second time around. And the first time around, I did enjoy it quite a bit. But the first time around, even though they leaned so heavily into Godzilla and Kong, I still thought that most of the human arcs kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. They were there to serve a, you know, a narrative purpose or have some sort of cliche type character in this situation. And you know, I I know what the argument against this is. It's a Godzilla versus Kong movie. I don't care about the humans anyway. Well, when the human characters are still such a big part of the film overall and they drive the narrative forward, it is a very cr- fair criticism. I almost spoonerisms. It's a fair criticism. Fair criticism. That would be it. Um, wait, Godzilla, Godzilla versus Gong. I'm glad we got that out of the way. But my point being, it is a very fair criticism to say that the movie isn't as good as it could be because the human human characters are not incorporated as well. But when the movie does focus on Godzilla and Kong, I think it is very well done across the board. I think Adam Wingard and that team have a very good understanding of what those uh, 
what those two titans are and what they're capable of and what they stand for. And then on top of that, and I was even more impressed by this the second time around, the visual effects in this movie look real, real good. We've been saying that about this franchise pretty much for every single installment. I think when I think back to the last movie in the franchise, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, I was harping so much on, uh, I guess, on framing more so than anything. There's just so many like freeze frame worthy visuals that are, are total stunners. And I do think Adam Wingard has a similar eye for this kind of content where just his frame construction alone is beautiful and it's always capturing the right thing and it's intensifying the action like it needs to. But pausing the moment, pausing certain moments of this movie and just really having an eye for the detail just in terms of, you know, uh, Kong's hair rustling or, or just the way that even the tiniest muscles in Godzilla seem to move, the pops of color, the design work here for the visual effects is just through the roof. I absolutely agree across the board, whether it is the framing of shots and the use of color, which we all know from the first trailer and does not disappoint in the film, is spectacular and neon and just a delicious eyeball treat. Mm -hmm. Uh, To the actual monsters themselves, who I think, like, they're just so empathetic, I guess, or like sympathetic, I guess, is the word you're in to their emotions in this fight, which is not something you always get from these big monster showdowns, especially, of course, because historically they were performed by men in suits, not, mm-hmm. you know, completely animated beings where you could control every micro expression of their face. But when it comes to like enormous fight set pieces, those emotions go a long way to not making it feel redundant or like suffering from, let's say, what the uh, Transformers movies tend to suffer from in that burnout. You you get invested in the fact that Kong's getting tired. Things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And when you have that and that, that and the visuals go hand in hand, just in terms of how you know, how different the fight choreography from set piece to set piece is and how how different the color palettes are too from set piece to set piece it makes them all stand out and that also adds to the fact that the fighting here never feels redundant ever i was always eager to see what the next landscape was going to be for the next fight and how the two of them were going to go about it so i cannot applaud them enough in that department totally and i mean i do still (laughs) think that the film has significant script problems. Oh, the wow. humans continue to be an issue. The way things are put together to me often makes no sense at all. There are redundant characters. There are, uh, it just, it's to be, it's like pretty dumb as a film. Like it's, it's to a certain point intentionally that way, but it also just reminds me of like, the Fast and Furious franchise being like sort of my favorite dumb franchise where things just don't necessarily have to make real world sense. Let's yeah. just go with that. There is there is a good deal of that. There's a couple of one-liners also that just don't land or really add anything at all for that matter. And, you know, in, in discussing the idea that a lot of the film doesn't make sense, I feel like part of the problem comes from the fact that so much of it feels like the Cliff's Notes version of this story where no one actually has to work to make something happen it just you know snap of a finger and it happens or 
someone like immediately comes up with the pitch perfect way to connect the dots. So it all makes sense. But by doing it that way and doing it so, so thinly, so much on the surface level of it all, it makes it completely ridiculous and not a, not a real world like way of solving a problem. Yes. And when I say dumb, I don't mean that as some huge insult. I love dumb movies. I just think I wasn't necessarily prepared for that approach to it in this because the last two Godzilla installments have been a bit self-serious. So for it to go full on like, this is how they get across the world. Don't worry about it. It's like, okay, fine. (laughs) Yeah. And really, even though I am criticizing that element of the script, especially the second time around. That was my reaction to almost every single beat where something like that happened. Okay, fine. Yeah. Also, I do want to emphasize my second watch again because a a good indicator of a movie's rewatchability, for me at least, is when on the second viewing, I find myself so excited for certain set pieces. And it's not just the one set piece, like the example we always bring up, where if I watch Strangers Pray at night, the only thing I'm looking forward to is the damn pool scene. It came up a number of times here. The, The boat fight being a big one, And then a number of set pieces to follow that we'll discuss in more detail when we talk about spoilers. But I I had that I had that itch to to continue on in the story so much the second time around that I'm pretty convinced I'm going to wind up watching this one a good deal. Same. And I also will say like that the script problems we're talking about definitely rubbed me more the wrong way the first time. And I. I think it's a combination of two script problems then one making the other one work more than it should is that the characters are bad and I don't care about them. So when it chooses to fast forward rather than spend time with them, I'm kind of like, yeah, okay. That's fair. (laughs) I thought, I thought one character was very well done and it might be because of her connection to Kong and that's Gia played by Kaylee Hoddle, who I also thought was excellent in the movie. That's totally fair. I was like emotionally in it with her. She has such screen presence and it's just, it's incredible how quickly they convey the connection between her character and Kong. And all right, I'm going to walk this comment back because I don't want to tiptoe anywhere near spoilers, but remind me to come back to her character and how successful that particular character is in the plot overall. But I thought that, uh, I thought that via Gia, Rebecca Hall's character worked well enough. Mm-hmm. I think we needed a little more to Alexander Skarsgård. I thought Brian Tyree Henry was a delight, as he always. always is. I think one of the one of the big weak spots in this movie, as far as the human characters go, are the villains. Yeah, they they are hands down the most thinly drawn and uh, cartoonish of the bunch, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of backstory there that goes completely unexplored that I think you needed just a little bit more like I don't want to slow this movie down at all or take the focus away from Godzilla and Kong but I think they in particular really needed like one extra layer of development to work well I think we also have an interesting like problem with the characters in the sense that they I feel that the villains are in a different movie than the heroes because the heroes are taking it fairly seriously and the villains are as you say full-on cartoon style I 
enjoyed every single delicious moment of what Damien Bashir was doing. Most surprised. But I'm not sure. No, obviously. But I'm not sure that style is complementary to what Rebecca Hall is doing. You know, like I, everything to do with those characters felt heartfelt and worth investing in. And then you get to the villains and it's, it's not a match. Yeah. No, it's yeah. Not, it's not a match. Um, but now that you're explaining it that way, I, I would say that the the material with Brian Tyree Henry, Julian Dennison, and Millie Bobby Brown is, I, I would say that that's got more silliness to it, where it felt like they were a step closer to the villain. So, you know, ultimately, I think they served as a, a much needed middle ground to keep the whole thing together well enough. But I was definitely leaning a little more towards liking the Rebecca Hall and uh, Kaylee Hoddle side of things. I completely enjoy the cartoonishness and I think it fits with this film's kind of big, brawny, dumb, fun vibe a little bit more. But I, I think that the, the one, of, and I've said this since my first screening, and I do think now, even after a second one, the, the editing on the performances is super weird. And like, um, there are pauses for laughs that don't exist. Uh, it, it's a straight, the performance editing is very strange. And I do think it hampers the film. And it's like, it's hard to make Julian Dennison not funny. But something about the editing makes all of his humor land weird. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're getting at. And uh, I'll have similar things to say about the the villain characters in the bunch. Okay. Is there anything else non-spoiler you want to add before we put the the spoiler warning up and jump into it? Yeah, I'll just throw in that if you're like iffy on these movies, I saw it with my mom who couldn't care less about these things and she totally had a blast. She also, to speak to what we were saying about the effects and animation here, completely fell in love with both Godzilla and Kong because of their facial expressions. Like when we walked out her first thing, I, what'd you think? Did you have fun? Yeah. I, I, I bought in, I had a blast. Godzilla's smile is so cute. Like that was her big takeaway. I, I might be team Kong, but <laughs> I'm always rooting for both of them regardless. Yeah. I mean, you know, Point being, even if you're like, oh, this isn't my thing, you'll probably have a good time because it's been a long time since we've seen a big movie like this. It, it's I mean, a lot of fun. I, I will say I was also pleasantly surprised by how big it felt, even though I was stuck at home and I watched it on my iPad of all things. Oh, wow. Well, I think the, the app I had access to it on at the time wasn't able to connect to my TV, so I had no choice. But it still, it still had like a bim, big booming effect where, you know, every time the two of them went at it and punched each other or whatever, I always felt the impact of every blow. So nice. I don't know. That's that's something to accomplish when we're all stuck at home and we haven't seen a big blockbuster on the big screen in quite some time now. Yeah. All right. So let's get let's get into the details here. This is your spoiler warning for Godzilla vs. Kong. If you haven't seen the movie yet, you can catch it in theaters or on HBO Max. So, goodbye to all of you who have not seen the movie. Because right now, we are having a spoiler-filled conversation. You ready? Yeah. All right. I have the movie open on my screen right now. Okay. And as I scrub through, one of the very first things that I noticed, that I questioned, was Chris Chalk. Why? Why do we only get like an itty bitty amount of screen time with him? Was that character 
once a larger part of the movie maybe going along for the ride with Rebecca Hall's character. Wait, I'm sorry, you cut out. Which character? Chris Chalk. Chris Chalk. I actually don't know who that is. He's at the, he's at the very beginning of the movie. He was in uh, When They See Us. He was in Perry Mason. He's, he's very, very good. And when I saw he was in this movie, I got really, really excited. And then he pops up in the movie, I think in the first few minutes, talking to Rebecca Hall. And he's got great screen presence. And I love that character's kind of, you know, the way he carried himself and his tenor. And then we never got him ever again. That was it. <laughs> it just seems like weird casting for a character with that amount of time. That's what this franchise has always done, though. They like remember what happened to poor Sally Hawkins. I mean, come on, that's fair. Like, yeah, but she had she had more beforehand at least. She did have more, but they've always uh, they put together these incredible ensembles and then barely use them. Juliette Binoche and Godzilla, like that's what? True. There was someone. Else. Oh, Lance Reddick in this one also. Like, what did he get? Like, that a one was wild. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't he doesn't get very much to work with. So that that was just one of the first things that that caught my eye and that is. Uh, coming to mind while I scrub through this right now. Uh, yeah, that is, a, that is a fascinating element of this franchise's commitment to not caring about the humans is that they will cast these really great actors in thankless roles. I have one more thing to say about the very beginning. Hmm. Those title credits are awesome. I love, yeah. love the score. I love the visuals that they chose. And there's just something about the combination of the two that got me like rearing and ready to go for a Godzilla Kong movie. I have no complaints about the title credits, except that they are a part of something that I was really disappointed by, which is the end of King of Monsters teases this monster apocalypse. And we don't get, we don't get to see any of it. We just get to see it play out in this March Madness bracket in the title credits. And then the <laughs> world's normal again. What? That broke my heart. No, that's fair. That's fair. I, I did find it funny when it ended in a March Madness style. Yeah. You know? I, wonder, I know that we'll probably talk about this a bit more in a bit. And I know that this is maybe probably likely the end of the MonsterVerse as it exists. But I really want to see the in-between movie of Godzilla, like, taking out every single Titan on Earth. I, I wouldn't mind watching that as well. I also think Mothra should get uh, a solo movie, but hmm. yes. <laughs> should I keep scrubbing? Because I have lots of thoughts. Go. I have lots of thoughts. All right. So I wanted to isolate one particular moment that also happens fairly early on that I think kind of gets at what we were saying about uh, the story, not, you know, really making a lot of sense or my comments about it feeling like a Cliff's Notes uh, version. So the idea of Rebecca Hall's character being able to snap her fingers and get Kong to journey to Antarctica. Right. I mean, that That is... I mean, think about all of the, uh, you know, the monarch, if not government uh, influence that might be swirling around in a zone like that. You would think she would need to, you know, bring it to her higher up and get the okay or something of the sorts. But no, Alexander Skarsgård shows up there, does his brief convincing, pitches her the plan, and that's it. Like, she just believes him and they're off. And that's a pretty extreme uh, plan to believe in. I mean, this is 
how everything is treated in the whole movie, though. It's just like uh, idea presented. Now it's done. Now it's over. On to the next thing. It's like the the when they end up. Okay, for this goes into the like. This is just a dumb fun is how they're all sneaking around in every top secret facility and it's just fine. And nobody finds them ever. Apparently there's no security. (laughs) The doors are never locked. Then they wander into this like monster egg cell, take a nap while they travel to Japan. Like it's all just very goofy. Isn't there one point where Millie Bobby Brown just like randomly taps a code on a screen and the door automatically locks like she knew the code? Like, was there a reason that she should have known a code or maybe if you put in the wrong code, the door deactivates? I don't know. I guess she's sort of monarch royalty. So maybe she knows things, but I still don't buy that. And like buy that either. It's all it's all very goofy. And like, let's just get to the next thing. I would buy more that Brian Tyree Henry's character would yeah. know some of those codes, given the information he downloaded. And, and and it's like you could maybe say he downloaded the information and gave it to her. But when did they ever really like sit down and have a break despite um, other than the uh, the one conversation that they have when they decide to form a team earlier on? They're like on the go the entire time. Absolutely. Every single character is. And, and in regards to like the Rebecca Hall of it, this is a really common criticism and for good reason. I see no no reason whatsoever that both her character and Alexander Skarsgård's character need to exist. They fulfill the exact same function in the story. It's very, maybe there's another draft where they brought more, but they just, there's no need to have two nerdy scientists who know about Hollower's theory on this journey when none of the neither of them really well specifically Skarsgård really doesn't do anything you know where I where I thought they were going to take that I thought it was going to be some sort of issue where later on the movie it causes a rift between the two of them because he initially pitched this nefarious plan by Apex and I thought maybe some something of a secret of nature was going to come to light and she was going to get mad at him and he would have to you know, like push off the bad guys and be firmly team good guy or something like that. But they don't really, they don't really get into that whatsoever. No, there's, it's real surface level with both of them. So it's an, it's just filler, I guess, that doesn't need to be there in my opinion. But I do always love watching Alexander Skarsgård play up his doofiest qualities. So I enjoyed that in this character. It loses it more towards the end. He gets a bit more uh, traditional, like action guy, but the, I like when he plays nerdy is what I'm saying. I, I actually kind of stopped and thought about that in the, I guess the first act, especially when they're on the boat, there's, you know, there's a couple beats of him there where I stopped and thought to myself, isn't it incredible how he could be like the suave, tough action yeah. hero, but then play, you know, goofy and out of his element so well. It's like something about his line delivery, his, even his strut, like the way he like wore his sunglasses in that moment that, you know, it just, it really highlights the range the guy has. Why is my brain doing this to me? What's the movie with Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen that I love so much? Long um, Shot. Long Shot, yes. That's one of my favorite Skarsgård performances because he's going full doofy cheese. Yes, that movie is excellent all around. Oh, wait, here's another little complaint with Skarsgård. So we get that first scene of him 
you know, talking about the book and everything and basically signing up for the uh, the plan here. And he's got this big old scruffy beard that is immediately gone when he meets Rebecca Hall. Listen, if you're going to have something as striking as Alexander Skarsgård with a real nice beard, I need the shave scene. I need that scene (laughs) where he decides to crawl out of the basement, make himself presentable and go see her. We simply did not have the time. The monster yeah. boys needed to fight. I feel like there's a uh, a scene on the cutting room floor where he kind of, you know, brushes the dust off mm. and suits up to get back out into the world. I was wondering if that's the case or if there, in any way that might have been something that was additional photography and he was like in process for another role and needed oh, yeah. a big beard. Um, I don't know if that's the case, but it definitely stood out to me is what I'm saying. I, I thought about that possibility as well. Yeah. So where, where else are we at? Oh, I mean, I'm still, I'm stuck on the, the boat scene in particular right now. This is where we, we get some, like, I think up until this point, the villains were working. Like, I, I liked how they introduced what Apex was up to in that first Godzilla attack scene. I hate to admit it, but I think the part where the villains really started to stick out in a bad way was when we got Aza Gonzalez's character. Mm-hmm. I mean, she she's capable of so much more. And they literally gave her cookie cutter villain dialogue. And that that was the part where what you had brought up about the editing. I think the editing might have hurt her more than anyone in the whole film. I was just going to say, I think that that's where I really started to notice those performance editing issues uh, was as soon as she showed up. The pacing was weird. Uh, everything, the delivery again, feels completely in a different movie. And that's really a problem in this case, because she shares scenes with those people who are playing it more serious. Uh, it, it did. Yeah. That was exactly when I was like, Ooh, these choices are weird. You revisit that conversation of her and Skarsgård walking up the stairs and you could like, even in those couple of seconds, you could really feel the difference between their performances. And I think, you know, both could have worked, but they yeah. needed they needed to work with the supporting elements around them, and they didn't have them. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting thing, and fortunately, like that's right when the movie also kicks up the action big time, so you don't have time to focus on it too much. And that's also where I found I found the star power of the movies coming in handy because once once that happens even though I don't necessarily care too much about their characters as people, this cast is filled with folks that I love, that I just love seeing on screen. And even though it doesn't necessarily support the narrative of Godzilla versus Kong, and it does kind of take you out of the movie in a sense, I like watching Rebecca Hall, Alexander Skarsgård, Isa Gonzalez. I like them running around with Kong and getting in the middle of all these fights. That's just fun for me to watch as a fan. And I'll take that element of it. I also want to give some credit to the filmmaking on this fight in particular in that it did, I think, more so than any of the other ones, acknowledge how scary it would be to be a human in that situation. Something about being on the boat was very effective to me to making them feel completely helpless. Um, I like the way that the the young girl hears Godzilla coming, and then that kicks off the fear of that sequence. <laughs> that- I hadn't muted before, I swear. 
It keeps the sound keeps turning back on now every time I click, I click play. But it did. It, it, I, maybe that's also because I find boats really freaky. But I, I felt it more in that scene than any other. Just how uh, fragile you are as a human in the midst of these titans. Yeah. I mean, I'll just jump ahead a little bit and say, because we had a side conversation about this. Um, you know, one of one of my, uh, I guess I, I guess I would have to call it a criticism, given how often I thought about it the first time I watched the movie of the big final fight mm -hmm. with how buildings are crumbling all over the place, and I found myself getting unusually distracted by the amount of human lives likely lost. Yeah. in those battles and i say unusually because you know I, I mean obviously in any movie i care about lives lost during a disaster but th this one on first watch was the first time i was like really distracted by it while also loving what i was seeing at the same time so i, I had a very difficult time you know figuring out why one was working while the other was still uh pulling me out of it but then I had a conversation with Matt Donato and mm. he highlighted, you know, essentially something I already knew in the franchise, but might not have been on my mind in the moment. And it's the fact that, you know, it's, it's basically what you're describing with this boat scene, too. We're talking about two enormous titans who can wipe out God knows how many people forget fighting just by stepping in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. Like Kong leans on a building and he's going to knock it over. That's just the truth of the matter. And that's a big part of the reason why Titans existing on Earth is so damn scary. And when I rewatched the movie with that on the top of my mind, it, it, it played very differently for me. I have a lot of thoughts about this because you, you flagged it kind of when we were talking about, uh, you know, Man of Steel and Snyder Cut and yeah. how that was all ultimately ended up being the point was the destruction. Um, and that's true also of, you know, Godzilla's origins. The point is the destruction. He mm -hmm. is a metaphor for nuclear destruction. He's supposed to be horrific. The fight scenes or, you know, they're not fight scenes at that point. They're city stomps. They're attacks. They're not supposed to be fun. They're supposed to be scary as shit. But when it comes to Godzilla and Kong having a knockdown drag out, the focus there is more on fun and not these being figures of ungodly destruction. And so there's like this cognitive dissonance there that I don't think uh, we've quite figured out in our, our evolving taste for these giant monster movies. Mm -hmm. And um, it got me thinking a lot to which movies do get that right, which ones miss it for the fun. And so I think the 2014 Godzilla really got it right in that it's, you know, it does everything in its power to frame Godzilla is a massive, terrifying force of nature. Mm -hmm. um, we see shots from within the, the rescue centers. The framing in this final battle is really strangely constructed in a way that does give me confused feelings because they mention an evacuation but they never give any attention to it and then we do see shots from inside buildings that are still occupied while the battle is happening making me think oh my god all those people just died yeah yeah i mean i i think this is part of those 
I think this is one of those examples where you have those two things kind of at odds. And I think that I think that whatever is on kind of the forefront of your mind in that moment is going to color the entire experience. Because I've watched the sequence twice and now I've had two, I'm not going to say drastically different experiences with it because I didn't like it the first time around. But I feel like the tone changed when I was challenging myself to consider something else when watching it the second time around. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I do think that there's some some orchestration in the shots that makes it a conflicting experience, but um, especially because of that fun component, it's not focused on the trauma of this attack. It's focused on, isn't it cool to watch these monsters fight? And I think that one of the best movies, maybe the best movie to hit the balance of anything so far has to be Colossal because the point is the trauma, but also it is fun as hell to watch those scenes. Very, very good call there. Thank you. All right. Backing up again. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm just still scrubbing through and not pushing play on this boat. This boat scene <laughs> is so beautiful. I can't handle it. Everything from, you know, Kong leaning over and and I love the blues of Godzilla. And I'm like looking at the frame right now, the two of uh, Kong sucker punching Godzilla while standing on the boat. I could go on and on, even when they're kind of tussling under the water, the way that that's framed and shot it's it's also beautiful in the lighting here. I can go on and on about every single detail in this particular sequence. Well, I also want to speak again to the animation and the personality here. We don't get it so much from Godzilla at this point. Yeah. When Kong is getting worked, and oh my goodness, does yeah. he get worked. Uh, it's such a... It does feel more as if it was a human character being completely on death's door. Like when he's pulled under the water, I get emotional about it. I'm like, please play dead. Please play dead. Uh, You see that decision making when he decides to stay laying down. And that to me makes each phase of the fight so much more interesting. Yeah. I mean, now, you know, I don't want to lean away from that positive because I I definitely uh, would echo exactly what you're saying. But in talking about that, it's making me think of other split second decisions that in real life might have called for more conversation. It's like, how do we help them? How do we help him set up the death charges and launch every single one at once into the water in a split second? (laughs) Yeah. See, but but then then I can compare that to the moment where Skarsgård says to shut everything down. And they have I'm not talking about like minutes worth of screen time having a dramatic conversation, but it is a back and forth that expresses some concern regarding the risk of a decision like that, but also still making it happen. And I understand you can't do that every time or you run the risk of uh, ruining the pace of the movie. But. I think that was a good example of essentially having your cake and eating it too. Yeah, there's a lot. The the depth charges stood out to me too. I was like, wow, <laughs> that is a lot to do so fast. Yeah. Um, but I do, I, this is, when I first watched this movie, this fight scene, I will admit I was a little like, I don't think I'm as in this as I should be. Uh, and then the second time I just completely yeah. loved it. I feel like the second I saw that sequence... I missed this so much 
that it almost didn't matter what happened next. I was probably going to be hooked. And it turns out I was. <laughs> That's good. So now we're, we're basically at the midpoint-ish of the movie when we've got the trio boarding the heave and being shot off to Hong Kong and also Kong arriving at Antarctica. And, you know, speaking of those moments that are a little more drawn out and require conversation in order for a big decision to happen. This is probably one of the best character moments in that respect between humans and Kong, where so many humans are making decisions, whether they're questionable or not, that kind of show who they are and where they're at at the point at that point. And it also is a major moment for Kong where he has to commit to doing something that he didn't want to do. And that one part where he, turns away from the hollow earth entry point and tries to kind of climb out of the snow. Oh, it just wrecked my heart. Yeah. I also, uh, in terms of something I thought the script got right was including that there's no way home for him. He's stuck here now. Cause yeah. uh, that also made that hurt my heart even more. <laughs> well, we'll get to it. Although the way they wrote themselves out of that is extremely funny to me. In terms of Godzilla just blasting a hole in the ground. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, would you had thought that might have happened already? No, I just think it's a really funny thing that's not explained at all. That, like, apparently the whole way that these last two films have, like, introduced really fascinating ancient cultures of these creatures and then not explain them at all and just blow yeah. them up is sort of really interesting and a little frustrating to me because I find them so interesting but it's just really funny to me that it's like okay now he has this axe so Godzilla's gonna shoot a hole in the ground and that's just what happens that's what happens when this happens accept it as you ex I mean as you explain it like I didn't even think twice about that bit I'm oh, really? like, oh, yeah. so I was like why is why does that happen well, they kind of say that the Titans were drawn to the home world and to the energy. And that was the whole reason why they recruited Kong to find it to begin with. So I guess I guess it, it, it kind of made sense to me that when Kong activated it, it would trigger Godzilla in some sense. Yes. To make I mean, it the the yeah, all the way to the center of the earth is which I'm sure is fine for Earth. Everything is going to be fine. Oh, it's, it, it's I, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, it, like, if it was going to another movie, though, it would be like the monster apocalypse where they'd be like, we fixed it. Ne well, well, either that or now I'm picturing, uh, I'm picturing Pacific Rim where it's some, where it's like a rift and it's a, like a tunnel for endless kaiju to, to come into our world and walk oh, amongst yeah. us. Uh, but yes, Hollow Earth. What a fun, yes. Uh, what a fun surprise. I did not expect this movie to all of a sudden become a fantasy land adventure in the middle. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. And usually I feel like when something like this happens, it it feels forced and it doesn't quite work. But in this case, I actually loved this feeling when they're in the heaves and they're flying to uh to the uh, now the the name just I was about to call it Middle Earth. <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with me but as they're as they're on the heaves flying i got that feeling like i'm on a theme park ride you know watching a, a screen and i, I kind of like that feeling like i like i thought it worked in a like shockingly natural way if that makes any sense where it completely gave me that feeling and it gave me a, that feeling in a way that felt earned rather than some 
you know, I'm going to put this here so we can plant the theme park idea in your head. So one day we can open a ride and you're going to want to ride it. I do want to ride it. No, I do want to ride it. But it's it's still, it's not just serving the potential cash cow later on. It's also serving the movie in the moment. I also thought it was a really fun way to incorporate the type of monster action that people loved in Skull Island into this hybrid yeah. sort of environment. Yes. Um, I, I dug the hell out of all that, those weird winged creatures. I loved the one that was like smothering him with this gross in wing. That was so intense. It yeah. was strangling him and then it was completely suffocating him and it was stressing me out. <laughs> that, was, that might be the scene that is closest to pure horror territory for me. Yeah. I would love to see a Hollow Earth movie. That's the thing. Like, I, I do think that unless this really blows it out at the box office is probably the last one. That seems to be the vibe coming from everyone involved. But it did make me want like several other films. This is Godzilla and Kong we're talking about. There's never a last one. There never will be a last one. Oh, no, you're completely right. I guess I just mean for this specific for this, monsters. For this iteration, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll say, and this is more of a behind the scenes thing. One of the big reasons why I don't want this to be the end of this iteration of the franchise is... Do you follow any of the filmmakers? You definitely do on Instagram and Twitter and stuff. Yeah. One of them posted a picture of all four, you know, Gareth Edwards, uh, Jordan Vote Roberts, Adam Wingard, and Mike Dougherty at the the fan premiere. Mm -hmm. And it was just like the four of them together being goofballs. I'm like, I want to see another person added to that picture. Like, I like all you guys. I want more. Yeah. I I enjoy this version for all its faults and I would love to see more but you know like you said they are they are evergreen eternal figures of cinema we will get more um but I I I loved the trip to hollow earth apparently okay so I'm a big clown and I didn't even know hollow earth theory was a thing I learned about that from Godzilla versus Kong but apparently it's a very problematic theory and it's an interesting choice for them to have gone there because a bunch of like not so great people really liked it and implemented it for racist ideology. But uh, oh, that's all news to me because yeah, that's news news to as well. Monster Land. Yay. Okay. Well, that's curious. I'm going to have to do some Googling after. Yes. It's very, very interesting. Um, I, I just, this whole sequence 100% worked for me. I think it's beautiful. Sorry. I love the flippity-dippity-gravity stuff. I wish we learned more about this history stuff instead of just blowing it up again. But what is there instead of me focusing on what isn't there? I yeah. love well, I mean, that's that's the thing with the movie overall is even in the title alone, it's teed up as like the epic showdown between the two biggest, strongest titans out there. And they emphasize so heavily, whether it's in the movie or even in just trailers alone, that you know, there's an ancient history between the two of them. And they basically leave it at that. They basically leave it at stating that and nothing more. And I think that you feel that the most in the hollow earth material, especially when, you know, Kong does find the ax. And I think they make it work well enough. But if anyone out there is like, where did this come from all of a sudden? And, you know, wanted more details, I would definitely understand that reaction. It's a me. I have that reaction. But I, I do love all the set pieces. I 
<laughs> really enjoyed uh, Aza's shitty, shitty character. Yes. So awful getting Coke can crushed. That, I think that might have been her best sequence. Yeah. Because also it's like, it wasn't even just like the kill of it all. It was every single stage that led to that, where she's just like, screw all you guys, I'm taking over. And, you know, like the apex industry asshole in her just like came <laughs> out and then she's just running away and manic. And I, I love when I see a big bad like that show some vulnerability right before they die. There's something about that that just really suited the style and tone of the movie. And the way like it was just like popping a grape <laughs> for Kong. Not a factor. I know. <gasps> I yeah, that that part was that part was real good. And while all that's going on, we're also introduced to Mecha Godzilla. That was introduced. Hang oh. on, one thing before we move on. I do want to yeah. say something else that Hollow Earth sequence included that I like from the tradition of these monster movies um, that we haven't seen as much of yet is the 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 struggle of many smaller creatures instead of just kong versus godzilla two titans bam bam i like when one of the titans is up against these uh, a, a multitude of smaller creatures that as one would just be an annoyance but as many are actually a threat i enjoy yeah. that a change up i i would agree with you on that it definitely you know it gives the it gives the movie and the fight sequences, as we've discussed, a variety of flavors, which is what I think you need in order to keep something going. Yeah, and those little I don't know if they were meant to be a callback to like the giant condor character, but those little birds were freaky, freaky little fuckers. They were. They were. They looked like like little old men kaiju. <laughs> Nobody wants that. <laughs> uh, yes, Mega Godzilla. Mega Godzilla. Well, what was your reaction when he first emerged? I knew it was coming because toys gave it away a million. Yeah, years. yeah. Um, I loved it. I love. I love that design for Mechagodzilla. I, I like the, uh, the sort of way they're tapping into the the Mecha approach of these, the history of the Godzilla movies. I think a lot of folks are going to look at it and go like, well, isn't that just Pacific Rim? But Pacific Rim was playing off of a pre-existing tradition that Toho is more responsible for more than this Toho legacy ripping off Pacific Rim. Um, it's a chicken egg. But I I thought the whole thing was an absolute blast. I liked the design a lot. I He was scary. I love the moment when it comes to life for real, not being piloted by anyone. Mm -hmm. I'm, all, I'm all in on this Mega Godzilla. I think that one of the one of the dumbest of the dumb things in this movie is how it's defeated with the the spilling water or, or, yeah. or his his uh, his drink. Yeah. No, that's 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 fair because I guess one might think that when he was detached from the pilot. Mechagodzilla would have been its own entity, maybe. Right. But I guess they do. They harp on the power situation, but the power situation was solved. So I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to try to make sense of it. I thought Mechagodzilla was badass, and I thought that was a great way to bring uh, Godzilla and Kong together very effectively. I will say that the the character of Ren 
really disappointed me though because he was such an you know an instrumental part of bringing Mecha Godzilla to life, and I wanted I wanted it. He delivers he delivers a line when they get the power source that shows personality that I wish we tapped into more where he expresses concern to Demi and Bashir's character. And I think that sets the two of them apart in a really interesting way that could have been worth exploring, but that, that was pretty much the extent of it. And then like, I, I assume he, he dies when he's shocked out of Mechagodzilla. The other thing that I really wanted a little more of is the idea of it being not powered, but that, that, connection being created by Ghidorah. I thought mm-hmm. there, was, there was something a little more interesting there as far as, you know, like it having three heads and that being the way it communicated. I, I thought that you could have created like a, a richer connection between human and Mecha Godzilla, but it just kind of like is what it is and it's left that way. I have to imagine there's stuff with Ren on the cutting room floor because he's also, he's Sarazawa's son, and it's, like, not in the movie. Uh, so that must have been something that was cut out. And I completely agree. I thought the Ghidorah School was going to have more, maybe in some alternate version, that's part of why Godzilla is able to, or Mechagodzilla is be able to become, like, individually sentient. I don't it just... I get it. Like, all you really need is uh, Ghidorah was telepathic and that allows us to do this. Fine. But it's a big thing to call back to for no other reason. And just the fact that Isarozawa's son and it's never freaking comes up at all makes me feel fairly certain there had to be more at some point. Like, you know what would really intrigue me? And this is definitely not a a sequel that they would ever pursue. But if, if Ren doesn't die and the shock, you know, turns him into one of the heads in a sense. And he always had that telepathic connection with the original skull. Even okay. <laughs> Mechagodzilla to a degree. You should write a, write a comic about this. Yeah, really? I don't, I don't know how to write a comic. <laughs> I, can, I can come up with the log line and that's about it. Okay. You should write a comic log line. Which you just did. <laughs> um, yeah. That's yeah. Right. I do feel there has to be stuff missing from the Mechagodzilla yeah. element. I think there's stuff missing missing from that and from a couple other things, but I guess we're at that we're at the big fight now. Yeah. I mean, it ruled. It I, it's, I thought it was beautiful. Great. It's beautiful. Again, I am scrubbing through frames right now and like I'm just clicking haphazardly. Literally everything I click on is just like stunning, stunning. Like I'm looking at a yep. shot right now of Godzilla looking dead into camera with that cute little cheese grin, even though he's really angry and he's going to fight. And I, that's when like, he stole I, my mom's heart. I can't get over it. I can't get over just like the detail and the color. And in this particular frame that I'm looking at, it's like he's lit in red on one side and has a green highlight on the other. And it's just, it's so beautiful. I can't take my eyes off of it. Yeah. I, okay. So like, I do think that there is some cognitive dissonance with what we discussed in terms of the casualties and the lack of regard for them. I think that also 
sometimes translates into how the human characters are behaving like as if everything's fine even though there are still two giant monsters right next to them so close and literally they could sneeze and kill everyone but um i know it's used for a comedic effect ultimately to remind like when uh one of them roars and i think it's brian Ty- tyree henry screams but it, it, it there that there is a bit of disconnect i guess in how unusual the monster to human relationship of this mm-hmm. scene that said the monster stuff just objectively rules so hard i thought it was a great fight again the expressions are so important especially with once again king kong just got his whole ass handed to him so mm-hmm. hard uh and that emotional beat really worked for me with restarting the heart uh because of because of the expressions yeah it made me so, so sad and uncomfortable when he was just getting the shit kicked out of him. Yeah. It it really, like, it hurt, but they're, they're okay. They're okay. They're interesting, an interesting approach in the film that maybe rubbed me the wrong the first way as a huge Godzilla stan is that this film is to a certain extent like Kongaganda. It is extremely invested in Kong's emotions. It is extremely with Kong. And Godzilla kind of is just a dick. Like, he just shows up and beats the shit out of Kong and is a huge dick and then goes and then does it again. Um, and as as Kong is my oldest son and my pride and joy, that hit me wrong the first time. But the second time around, what I liked about it is I think it's a really interesting way to balance the the fact that Godzilla would absolutely work Kong. Like, he would destroy him. We all know it. That's why there's been so many memes about it leading up to this movie. Uh, and, and giving the emotional weight to Kong and giving the power balance to Godzilla is an interesting way to address that. Yeah. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Um I wouldn't say that's something that bothered me the first time around, but I I do think part of the reason why, like in the end, I do think it's appropriate, but I think part of the reason why the emotional weight of Kong's journey so far outweighs the one that uh, Godzilla goes through, because, you know, again, Godzilla's, you know, the big, bad, misunderstood monster. He's not deliberately killing people. He was provoked. So that's that's what his whole storyline was about. But I feel like, their choice to do their choice to use Millie Bobby Brown's character that way basically, you know, set the stage for the kind of Godzilla connection we were going to get. I mean, Kong has the benefit of having Gia and having a real meaningful emotional connection with a human being that we're watching playing out fairly consistently from start to finish. And even though, um like why do i keep calling her by her real name and not her character name madison even though even though madison does express concern for godzilla and she's driven the entire movie for for caring about him it's not something that you feel the entire time that Mm -hmm. winds up taking a backseat to the adventure and the hijinks of their part of the story absolutely well like what something I really loved about King of the Monsters was Sarazawa's love for Godzilla. Yeah. He loved Godzilla, was willing to die for Godzilla. Um, 
we don't really have that connection with Godzilla in this film. And and it did bother me the first time I was like, this movie has the biggest Kong bias I've ever seen in my life. But uh, upon reflection, I, I, I do think that since they chose to honor the fact that Godzilla is a freaking nuclear power plant dinosaur who would beat a monkey, uh, that, that it makes sense to put as emotionally with Kong. Because his his hill is larger to climb, his stakes are higher. I still love them both so much. <laughs> I love them so much. <laughs> I, I just landed on another cheese grin from Godzilla, and I just want to hug him. He's the best. I, lo- I love my beautiful boy. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, one One minor nitpick towards the end. I mean, come on. You have both sets of characters come together for the hero shot at the end. Ugh, I didn't need that. Just felt so forced and silly. And, you know, we're we're talking about, you know, a city of millions of people, and they happen to all wind up in the same landing spot at the end. Movie magic, Perry. That's that's what that's what that moment said to me. Like, thank you for watching our movie. Yeah, hundred (laughs) percent. And and a standing ovation for the cast, please. Yeah. I mean, you know, as much as I'm picking on the development of the human characters, and I still think that is a very valid criticism of this movie, I thought everyone did the best that they could with what they were given, because I think that the humans could have been severely problematic to the point of ruining the entertainment value of the movie if they had had folks who weren't as talented in some of those roles. I also, well, yeah, that's why they can't cast people like Lance Reddick as a no-name CEO or whatever. <laughs> but uh, I, I do think, even though we have spoken at length about the issues with these characters, that of the three Godzilla movies so far, I won't include Skull Island because I think that film works a lot better than people gave it credit for. Um but of the Godzillas in this franchise, I think this one did the best with the character problem. Admittedly, I'm one of those people who didn't give Kong Skull Island all that much credit. But given all of the, uh, you know, the positivity around the movie now that I keep hearing because this one had just come out, I feel like I'm, I'm finally eager to rewatch it. I, like, I, I put a lot of pressure on that movie. I feel like. Like that trailer when it came out, it was one of my favorite trailers of the year. Like it's one of my favorite trailers of all time. And I watch it a lot, Barry. I just think it's a great trailer. I watch that trailer. I watch the trailer for the 2010 remake of The Crazies all the time. And I also watch the Battle Los Angeles trailer all the time. Ooh, okay. I also watch the Ready or Not trailer a lot. Yes. That's an excellent one. Uh, the Crawl trailer. Yes. Fantastic. <laughs> you know what other trailer I watch all the time? I watch the uh, the behind the scenes trailer that they made for the box trolls, where it, it slowly evolves from seeing the the Leica animators like move the characters and build them and stuff, and then it slowly transitions into final footage from the movie. That's cool. And it's it's got like a, a beautiful song playing in the background, and it just like I don't know gets gets get your heart going and. I just love that. I also, also, and I watched the uh, Captain American, Captain American. Now I'm saying it, not just typing it. Writing it. (laughs) Captain America Civil War trailer, the the first one is good. That is, that is a good one as well. (laughs) (laughs) Now now that you've watched Godzilla versus Kong, we've given you trailer homework. Go watch some old trailers. 
I am curious how you'll you'll fall on Skull Island with a rewatch. I think something that worked in my favor is I actually didn't see it for a significant amount of time until after it came out. Oh. Uh, so I'd already heard all the blowback, the bad reviews, and I watched it and was like, that ruled. <laughs> What's wrong yeah. with everyone? I didn't hate it by any means. I forget what score I gave it was, but it was, you know, it was probably right in the middle, like maybe just teetering positive, but I'm sure I complained a lot about those human characters. And they're not great, but it does have ones that really stand out. John C. Riley is a blast. Um, And I think that you can even, even go watch that trailer again and you can spot the reshoots. You can see where, where there were influences that changed the movie. Uh, But by and large, I think that's the most successful with the humans. I'm probably sensitive just about how uh, Kong Skull Island did Toby Kebbell dirty. Oh. Yeah. I don't think he got the role that he deserved in that movie. <laughs> he gets the role they deserved in these movies. No, I know, I know. In the, the, movie in, the end, in the end, I must accept that. Yes. I, all right. Is this the end of our Godzilla versus Kong episode? I guess. I'm sure I'll have more to say and then like part two it next week because I probably will watch this again over the weekend. Yeah. It's I might also. Good. I went to uh, I went to my sister's house for dinner last night and usually I'm a grandma about it and I've got to like rush out and come home to go to bed. But they had put on Godzilla versus Kong right before I was about to leave. And I, I definitely, you know, I, I probably sat for like the first 30 minutes of the movie and just had, like had a hard time peeling myself away after. It's a fun one. I think it'll, you know, it's a limited window, but I think that while, while it is on HBO Max, it's going to get a lot of play because it is super fun to rewatch. Yeah, I have a feeling you're going to be right. And, you know, who who knows? Maybe that could be enough to... Spawn some sort of um, maybe not a direct sequel in this in this batch of films, but just something Ooh. else for Warner Brothers to do with this franchise. I'm putting it out into the universe. I'm manifesting a Hollow Earth TV show on HBO Max. That's putting that into the world. If I say it again, does it? <laughs> yes, manifest it. A Hollow Earth HBO Max series. Yes, I Make want it. Happen, please. Uh, And also, just because, you know, we find the industry side of things interesting, you know, this is the type of movie that I'm sure certain people would go back and see twice in a theater, but not as much as when you can turn it on and fast forward to your favorite fight scene. I think that's really going to help its numbers. I think I think uh, you are probably spot on with that. All right. Now that I've been completely removed from my chair, I think we should wrap this episode. (laughs) Chewie's so rude. Chewie has like slowly but very consistently pushed me further and further off the I'm like I'm literally hanging on for dear life right now so we have to leave Haley what would you like to promote this time around what you working on oh gosh I gotta start doing cooler things um I I will promote whatever is the coolest thing Perry's working on because she's always got a ton and I'm always like I will tell you what's streaming. All right. And I'll I'll throw that right back to Haley. And I'll tell you that right now there's a brand new episode of Ladies Night with Aza Gonzalez up and running. And she is lovely. She's always one of my favorites to talk to. And I feel like that was just further emphasized when I actually got a full 40 minutes with her. 
Next up is going to be Naomi Scott. And I'll tell you, if you happen to be surfing the web and seeing any of those articles pop up, it's probably because I have Haley in my corner helping me come up with really catchy headlines. And she is a headline genius. So if you find any of those stories without looking for them, it's probably because of her. <laughs> You're too sweet. And if uh, if you like anything else about them, it's because Perry's amazing. <laughs> All right. Now, next episode, we should just hurl compliments back and forth for a full hour because I know we could do that and then some. I'll do it and I'll, I will gladly see who gets redder. Damn, I'm ready for it. All right. That is it. <laughs> We're done. We're out of here. You have officially survived the witching hour. 